At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our message series, Soul Food, when a meal with Jesus was more than food, we'll unpack what Jesus has to teach us from the time He spent around the table. Here, in the ordinary, everyday sharing of a meal, we'll discover who Jesus came for, what it takes to be with Him, and how you and I can be changed by His greatness and grace. But we are uh, jumping in uh, to the second week of our series called Soul Food. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. You know, right before, right before my, my wife, Nicole, and I uh, had our son, Timothy, uh, we were talking about the things that we wanted to do the things that we wanted to, to be true in our home um, as Timothy would be growing up and the things that we wanted uh, to do as parents and the things that we wanted to instill into him. And one of the things we both said and had come to the realization is we wanted to be intentional with our time at dinner. Um, I know dinner time is, is often the time that we uh, come together and we eat food um, but oftentimes we see that dinner is often chaotic for many families. You, you've got soccer practice, you've got play practice, you've got after-school stuff, you've got work, you've got all of this. But, but when Nicole and I was like, what was one thing that we wanted to do? It was being intentional with our time at dinner. So we made it in an effort for at least a, a try to every night to eat dinner together at our dinner table. Um, and we try uh, to put our phones away and be, uh, we, we try to put our phones away and be attentive. But for us, eating dinner, even though he is 16 months, but now he is definitely talking more, uh, <laughs> uh, is, is that time that we're spending together, that we're talking about our days, we're, we're praying for our food and thanking God for our food to the point now he's picked up on the language so when we say amen, he, in, his, in his Timothy 16-month way, he says amen. And just this was intentional. It was for us to be able to thank God for food, and it's to instill in him the importance, one, of family, of gathering together, but also of thankfulness, thankfulness to God. And no matter what you call it, there are many times that people call this saying grace. This idea of saying grace, well, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting phrase. Um, so I was interested to see where does this phrase, saying grace, come from? Well, it comes from this. The, the, word, the word grace is in the Latin term meaning gratia, which means favor. And we kind of use that word favor, grace, in our culture today. It, we see that in today's language. Grace means unmerited favor. However, in Latin, the term also carries this meaning of thankfulness or gratefulness. Therefore, to say grace, they've merged these two together, these two meanings of, of, of Latin, and of these two Latin things of grace and favor and thanks, to say, say grace is a response of thanking God for the grace of food. And so it's interesting, this, uh, this concept of saying grace, it marries these two ideas together of grace and gratitude. And these 
are intertwined in their meanings were carried in the same word at one point. So when we recognize that we have been shown blessing or favor, our natural response should be thankfulness, right? When we have experienced favor, when we have experienced something we didn't deserve, it should respond with, a grat- with gratitude and thankfulness. You know, one of the most incredible and, and biggest things that we see in the life and the work of Jesus is this understanding that God's grace is being revealed to us through his son. The greatest grace that we have is that through Christ, his death, his life, and his resurrection proclaimed that Jesus was bringing about God's unmerited favor to those that would trust and follow him. And so last week we saw that Jesus came to eat with sinners because he was he has come to bring salvation to those who are sick but they were not just sick physically or in their health but they were sick with sin and in case you didn't know that we are all sick with sin Jesus, as an act of grace, pursues sinful people and he invites us to his table to eat and experience his saving work. But the question that we wanted to talk about today, we must answer is, how do we receive that grace? Have we taken that grace from Jesus for granted? Or worse, have we rejected that grace altogether? You see, grace and gratitude are connected. And what we're going to discover today is that our response to Jesus reveals our grasp of his grace. How we respond to who Jesus is is going to reveal our grasp of his grace. So as I said, we, we kicked off this, uh, this series called Soul Food, and we're looking at the life of Jesus, and we're looking at par- uh, particularly the times when Jesus would have food, have meals with people. And what we're going to see today in our passage is we're going to see Jesus again eating a meal with people, but there will be two people in this story that's going to reveal how they received God's grace. So if you look at me in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So we see here, and standing behind, I'm sorry, and standing, verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Okay, so we see here that Jesus was, was at a house uh, of this guy, as uh, this Pharisee, and the Pharisees, if you didn't know, Pharisee it was a sect of Judaism who held strictly to the law. They wanted to obey God's law so perfectly that they were so strict 
to the point of they actually added to the law in order to make themselves better. Because in their mind, they thought that if they were perfect, if they kept their moral purity, that the Messiah, who they were waiting for, that God would liberate them, which is Israel, would liberate Israel and bring his kingdom. So it was through their actions, through their moral purity, that God would move. And this is what they believed. And so we see this influential Pharisee, which we'll find out is is a guy named Simon. He had seen what Jesus was doing. The Pharisees were were watching Jesus. And he invited him to eat at his house. So Jesus responds and he comes to his house. He joins him, which this was very common. In that day, what you would do is after a teacher or a rabbi would, would teach in the synagogue, they would invite them to their house to eat. So this was a common occurrence. Was to invite a guest into your home for a meal. And Luke's readers originally would know that. But what's about to happen is anything but normal. So we see that Jesus and this Pharisee are eating. There's probably other guests. There's probably other Pharisees, other people at this table. But then all of a sudden, a woman comes into the house. Now, we're not talking about a a party crasher. She's not just, like, barging through the doors. In that context, too, in the life of Israel, doors were open. The houses were not as closed off as we have today. They were open, and it was an open invitation to anyone to come to the house to hear this teacher So this woman's presence in this meal was not something that was out of the ordinary. But what she did was definitely different and not normal. We don't know very much about this woman. Uh, Obviously, there's a few words that we can see. One, that she was from the town, so she was living in the city. So she was there when Jesus was. Secondly, we see this word sinner. Now, we don't really know what she did to be labeled a sinner. There was probably a bunch of different things that could have been. But if you're labeled sinner in that context, it was something well known. You had this bad reputation in the town. So we know that this woman had a bad reputation for whatever she did. But when she learned that Jesus was going to be eating at the Pharisee's house, she went there. And what she does shocks the Pharisee and the guests at the meal. The woman engages with Jesus unexpectedly. But it's through her actions that she shows us the essential point about experiencing God's grace in Jesus. Namely, that grace received from Jesus results in a great love for Jesus. Grace received from Jesus Uh, results in a great love from Jesus. Do you notice what she does? When she sees Jesus, she begins to shower Jesus with affection and love. But why does she do this? The answer must be that she had heard or she had knew about Jesus. 
Maybe she had heard about Jesus and she trusted in the good news that Jesus was proclaiming through his ministry. Because we see in the book of Luke, Luke is pointing to this fact in in this gospel that Jesus was there to save sinners. He was there to bestow grace to those who were outcasts. We see this in the songs of Mary and Zechariah in Luke 1, and then the story of the shepherds in Luke 2, and then through the ministry of John the Baptist in Luke 3. Jesus' ministry even began with a prophecy in Isaiah 61 that Luke 4, 18 and 19 quotes, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set a liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor. So we see that Jesus' whole ministry was to impact the world by bringing along those who were suffering, those who were outcast. He was seen healing and ministering to those that were the least of these. We even saw that last week with he was labeled as someone who would fellowship with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees did not like that. They used that as a reason for them to not believe in Jesus and who Jesus was. So we can, we can presume that this woman probably had come to realize who Jesus was and wanted to expressed her love and admiration toward Jesus. But her response to this grace is not ordinary. If we would, if we would uh, label it, it would probably be extravagant and heartfelt. We see this in, in four different ways. Luke is very intentional in giving us these four words, these four verbs that that as they go on brings more and more extravagance, intensifies this emotion. And Luke is very careful to describe these actions. The first thing we see we do is that she weeps. We're not talking like crocodile tears. We're talking like full on like tears just streaming, this this sorrowness, this this not sorrowness, but this happiness. And it's her tears that wets Jesus' feet. Can you imagine the, the intensity of her emotion that brought her to weep in Jesus' presence? But then she uses her tears to wipe Jesus' feet, to wash his feet. And this seems odd. I'm, I'm not a big fan of, like, feet washing, <laughs> It's really awkward to me. I see the significance of it. But to that, that was normal. So when you invited a guest to your house, you would provide some place for you to wash your feet because of the mud and the dirt and the sand. But here, this woman woman washes Jesus' feet with her own tears. But then she does something else. She begins to wipe them with her hair. Now, I don't know about you ladies. I don't know how comfortable you would be wiping, using your hair as a rag. But in that day, this was seen as shameful. 
Like women would keep their hair uh, covered up that if they would let their hair down, it was a shame. Yet this woman lets her hair down to serve Jesus. Her love for Jesus trumped any kind of shame that she could have experienced in the culture. She loved Jesus enough that she didn't care about the social shame that she would endure. This was her response to Jesus. Next, she kisses his feet. Again, it's another, another example of extravagance and love that this was a sign that she respected Jesus, that, he was, that she was submitting to him, that she had affection towards Jesus. And then finally, she anointed his feet with ointment that she had brought. And Luke, again, is very intentional on what he says here. He says that he, she brings an alabaster flax of ointment. Well, in that day, that type of ointment was worth 300 denarii. And what denarii was, it was one denarii equaled a day's labor. So a wage, you would get one denarii for work, a, a worth of work. So this was worth 300 days of working, like a whole year's worth of work that she brought and she anointed Jesus. She didn't care about the cost. She didn't care about the shame. She didn't care about the, the, the crying and the, the, the wiping her feet with her tears. She didn't care about that because she knew the grace of God in her life through Jesus. Grace received leads us to a response to great love for Jesus. When we have experienced God's grace in our lives, it should give us this great love for Jesus. There's an author named Dr. H.A. Ironside in his book, In the Heavenlies. And he gives us an example of the nature of grace and his appropriate response. He writes, he writes this, you may remember the case of a woman who attempted the assassination of Queen Elizabeth I. She was dressed as a page and had hid herself in the queen's boudoir, awaiting the convenient moment to stab her to death. Not realizing that the queen's attendants would be very careful to search the rooms before her majesty was permitted to retire. Hidden there among the gowns, they found this woman and brought her to the presence of the queen. They took, her with the da they took from her the dagger that she had hoped to plant in the heart of her sovereign, she realized that her case, humanly speaking, was hopeless. So she threw herself down on her knees and pleaded and begged the queen to have compassion on her and to show her grace. Queen Elizabeth looked at her quietly and coolly and said, if I show you grace, what promise will you make for the future? And the woman looked up and said, grace that hath conditions, grace that is fettered by precautions is no grace at all. That's a pretty bold statement, right? But Queen Elizabeth understood immediately, and she said, you are right. I pardon you my grace. And they led her away a free woman. But what history tells us is that from that moment, Queen Elizabeth had no more faithfully devoted servant than that woman who had intended to take her life. 
So like the woman in our story, this would-be assassin experienced this great act of grace without conditions, without precautions, and it led her to a life of devotion to her queen. The same grace that Jesus Christ offered to this woman is the same grace that he offers to us today. It doesn't come with conditions. It doesn't come with prerequisites. We don't have to clean ourselves up in order to receive this grace. The only thing is that we need to recognize we need it. You need to recognize you need it. It's like the woman before the queen who realized there was nothing that she could do to save her from her crimes except an act of grace. But grace received should move us toward a life of love and devotion. To the one who has shown us the grace. When we truly have experienced God's grace, the radical love for Jesus should be evident in the way we live. It results in actions of love that might be seen odd to those around us, but to display, they display our devotion to God. But we have another person in this story. We have Simon. While this woman is, is showing and displaying her love for Jesus because of the grace that she's experienced, there's Simon the Pharisee. And what he shows us is that grace refused from Jesus results in little love for Jesus. Grace refused from Jesus results in little love for Jesus. In verse 39, we continue this story. It says, Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will, will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning around, and turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Okay, so we see this completely different interaction. We see this Pharisee's response was not only to judge the woman, but then to judge Jesus for not judging the woman, Right? He concludes that Jesus could not be the true prophet because, one, he didn't realize that she didn't know who this woman was, but 
if we're honest, Jesus did know who this woman was, and let her touch him. Simon, by his judgment, puts these two things at odds. He says, all right, this is a sinner, and this is me. Completely different. You are other than me. You are lesser than me. And he puts this woman in the category of a sinner. And then he rejects Jesus as the Messiah. But I love Jesus in this thing. In true Jesus fashion, he has something to teach Simon and really all of us in response to how he judges this woman. He gives them this, this parable of the two debtors, and, and he relays that this creditor had these two debtors, one who, was, who uh, owed him 500 denarii, which, which, which we saw, right, was 500 days of work, and then 50, which was 50 days of work. And he says, the debtor then, they knew he couldn't pay, decided to forgive both debts, right? And he forgives both debts, and then he asks Simon this question. Who loves me more? Who loves and is grateful to the creditor more? And Simon's like, well, the person that had the greatest need. Jesus makes this point by asking Simon this question. And it gives us this understanding that grace received results in a response of love. The greater the grace the greater the response of love. But as Jesus reveals this truth, he goes on then to challenge Simon. He goes on to challenge him and says that, hey, you saw this woman. She, she came in and she washed my feet with her tears. She wiped her teeth with my hair. She kissed me. She anointed me with oil. Simon refused the grace of God. Simon didn't trust Jesus. He didn't think he needed the grace and forgiveness and the salvation that Jesus was proclaiming. We know this by how he treats Jesus. This was intentional. So this is how Simon responds to Jesus, how Simon treated Jesus in this whole meal was intentional. Because in that day, it was customary as the, as the host of the house, the host of the meal, you would provide water to wash the feet. You would provide a warm greeting and a welcome. You would provide oil, olive oil to refresh their skin and refresh their hands before diming. Yet Simon had done none of those for Jesus. And that was not an accidental oversight. It was an intentional insult. He would never do this to an honored guest. It's the same to assume that Simon's purpose in inviting Jesus wasn't to honor him, but to really humiliate him. He had an ulterior motive <laughs> because he offered him no welcome. He offered him no fellowship. He offered him no honor. Because again, like we said, the Pharisees rejected Jesus because of what he did. 
They were self-righteous. They thought that they were, had it all together, that they were doing the right thing. They were a group that refused the grace of Jesus. They didn't think that they were sinners. They didn't think they needed the, God's grace in their lives. And so they rejected it. And they resulted in a lack of love and honor for Jesus. So when I was in college uh, in Kentucky, I started my working career out in Kentucky at Panera Bread. Uh, so I worked at Panera Bread for a while, and then eventually I ended up getting another part-time job as a server. And uh, as when you work in a restaurant or work in any food service, there are some challenges, right? There are a lot of different challenges that come to face when you're working with people. And if you've ever worked retail or food service, you, you know what I'm talking about. Most of the times, I will admit, most of the times that, I, that I'd serve people or help them at Panera and get their food and all that were, were pleasant. They were very grateful. They were thankful. Uh, I, I was treated well. But every once in a while, there would be those people who did not show the same courtesy. They were rude in their ordering. They were loud and demanding of service immediately. They insulted or were unkind to fellow staff members and to, to me. There was no thank you uh, or appreciation was shown uh, for the work that we did. And it made it very unpleasant for me and for the rest of our staff to, to serve them. We still did, We still because that was our job, but it made it very hard. It was after these interactions that I would say, well, what does that person think that they are? Like, who do these people think that they are? It wasn't like, it wasn't like some local celebrity that was coming into town. It wasn't like anything, it wasn't a movie star. Well, it was pretty easy to know who they thought they were. They thought that they were important. They thought they were better than the one who was taking care of them, who was serving them food. See, when it's, in this case, you don't see love and gratitude in their actions and their responses. And Simon's approach and Simon's response to Jesus forces us to wrestle with the question of who do we see that we are? Who are we? Who do we see ourselves compared to those in our world? Who do we see ourselves in compared to our relation to God? Many people like Simon refuse God's grace because he didn't think they needed it. Because since they convinced themselves that they were good enough. I'm not like that person after all, they might say. Because we're always good at comparing ourselves to others. And especially those who are worse than us. Or maybe you take it down this side. Maybe you have been pious. You have been obedient. You followed the rules. You were doing all the right things. And when, they look, and when you look at others, you look at, at them with judgment. And this judgment without compassion. The true is all of us on some level, like Simon. We are prone to this idea of self-righteousness. We're prone to think that that we have it all together, that we don't need God's grace. But in reality, the self-righteousness leads us to refuse God's grace. And we, rec we refuse to recognize our need for God's grace and his forgiveness. 
And it responds in a lack of us worshiping God. It responds in us not welcoming Jesus. It responds in us not fellowshipping with him. You know, Jesus could have ended there. He could have done the mic drop and gone out. But what he does next ups the bar. He closes out with these two verses in verse 48 and 50. He says, And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So he says, your sins are forgiven. Now this sends the Pharisees in a tailspin. They're like, well, who is this that can forgive sins? Who are you that you can do this? You are not a prophet. But what Jesus says is perfect for this woman to hear. When he says that your sins are forgiven, the tense here is important. In the original language, this is a perfect tense, which means it already happened. Her sins had already been forgiven. It wasn't because she, uh, she wept. It wasn't because she washed his feet with her hair. It wasn't because she anointed his feet with oil. That wasn't what saved her. What saved her was her faith in who Jesus was. It was her realization that she needed the God's grace in her life because she was broken. Because she was living in, a, in her own sin, because she needed a savior, that she realized that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the one that was going to forgive her of her sins. Our actions of love reveal a faith that saves us. Did you catch that? Our actions of love reveal what's already has happened in our lives, that our faith. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, Jesus offers grace, unmerited favor to us. He died on the cross and our sins could be forgiven. And we are again, though we had experienced a new and resurrected life. He offers salvation to us freely with no prerequisites. It's often said that there is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in our past. And any one of us can experience that salvation. So we see this amazing ending for this woman. But you know what the saddest part of this story is? The saddest part is Simeon. Is Simon. The saddest part was that Simon was just in much of need of God's grace in his life, yet he did not receive it. Simon still owed a debt because of his sin, and he could never repay it on his own. No matter how many laws he obeyed, no matter how pious he thought he was, no matter how judgmental he was, he still had the same debt as this woman. his response showed his lack of humility. He had faith and love for Jesus because in the end, he didn't think that he needed it. And at the end of Simon's story, he does not hear the words, your sins are forgiven. 
in the book Meals with Jesus, the one that, that we're encouraging you to read through while we do this series, Tim Chester says this, the difference between Simon and the woman is not just they, how they view Jesus, it's how also they view themselves. Simon has no sense of forgiveness because he has no sense of need. But the woman has a strong sense of her brokenness. She knows her life is a mess and she sees Jesus as someone who accepts her anyway. She has an overwhelming love for him. So how do you view yourself today? Do you view yourself as Simon or the woman? And if you want to know the answer to that, let me ask you, how do you respond to Jesus? Because our response to Jesus reveals our grasp of his grace. Our response to Jesus reveals our grasp of his grace in our lives. And today's good news is that Simon's story does not have to be your story. God's grace is still available for each of us today if we're willing to humbly if we're willing to humble ourselves enough to receive it. It implores us to, to take Simon's reaction and say, I don't want to live in the pride. I don't want to live in this uh, un inability, inability to embrace this humility that I need, that I need God. I need his grace. It calls us to let go of our self-righteousness. So who do we see ourselves today? It reminds us that we need most is God's grace, which is only experienced through faith in Jesus. And may we recognize that we are sinners in need of grace of God and trust deeply in the work of his son, Jesus. And from this, we then show that love every day in our lives. So as we close, and, and I know that we're we are gearing up for Easter, so I want to encourage you today to really bring this home. Really consider where am I viewing God's grace? But we're also here because we at Woodside really see a need for us to be intentional leading up to Easter. Because many of us, we know people come through these doors that, that only come once or twice a year. People come to church on Easter. And people need to hear the hope of Jesus. There are many people like this woman in our world. Maybe even in your life. So I want to ask you this other question. In light of what we saw today, who in your life needs to experience the grace and forgiveness of Jesus? Jesus spent his time investing in people. We see this through last week, and we see this through this. He invested in this woman. He invested in the disciples. Consider who can you invest in. Is it your neighbor down the street? Is it the person that sits next to you in the cubicle or in your office? Is it your kids? Investing means spending time praying for them and talking with them, getting to know them so that you can have open conversations about their need for God's grace in their lives. 
So what I encourage you, as we looked at last week, as we prepare for Easter, what I'd love for you is to take a look at this card that we have and look at the second word of invest and think, who can I invest in? Who are those people who I can be prayerfully considering having a meal with? On this card, you can scan the QR code and you can see uh, ways that you can invest, some different ideas. But I consider you think about those people that you can invest in your lives, that maybe through a conversation you can share with them the incredible grace of God. So let us take a few moments and thank God for his unfair, unmerited favor. His grace that he gives us and also ask him to reveal who he wants us to invest in. And while we pray and as we sing this last song, there, there is Richard right down there at the, on, the le- on my right, your left, um, who's there and he's there to pray for you, pray with you. So if you need someone to pray with or you want to pray with someone, he's available to do that towards the end, uh, between now and the end of service. So I encourage you to, to go and talk with him if you need prayer. But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this unmerited favor that you give us. God, I pray for this, uh, this interaction that you have with this woman God, that she experienced your incredible grace, that she experienced her need for you, and it resulted in a response of great love. God, let us be a people who love you because of your grace that we have received. God, I pray that we avoid the sin of comparison, that we avoid the sin that we are not in need of your grace, that we are self-righteous, that we have it all together, God, because that is not true. And God, I pray that you reveal to us the person that you want us to invest in. Who is that one that we can show the incredible love and grace that only you can give? I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.